Romans chapter number 6. You know, every now and then when I have this opportunity to preach to the adults, um, I find myself spending a lot of time in prayer uh, seeking what the Lord would have me to preach on. I, I primarily, and most of you know this, but primarily preach to the young people. Um, and I love doing that because I, I've had so many opportunities to see numbers of young people saved in my short time in the ministry. Uh, I, I want to be able to do the same thing with the adult services and bring that. But uh, sometimes I understand that the Lord, He kind of goes different directions with adults than He does with young people. And um, I, I believe tonight is what the Lord has given us. Um, and y'all pray for me as we preach um, this tonight. I want to preach out of Romans chapter number 6. I want to start with verse number 1. Y'all follow along with me. The Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Look over at verse 18 with me. Being then made free from sin... Ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your, yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now you yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin... And become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. I thank you for this crowd that has uh, made an effort to be here, Father. I do believe that this message that you have given is the message that you would have us to hear tonight. And I ask, Father, that you would prepare the hearts of those that are going to hear it. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to give the message as you would have me to give it, Lord, that you would give me clarity of thought and that you would let me be able to uh, convey this message according to your will. Lord, I pray for help. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach on on this thought tonight, surrendering to victory. Um, I, as I look around and as you look around and we look at uh, what is modern Christianity, um, we often see many churches closing their doors. Uh, we see churches that have tried the big stuff uh, and we see that it didn't work out for them. Uh, we see many churches that are trying different programs, that are trying different things. They're, they're making different efforts to bring in people into the church but we find that churches, one after another after another, are failing. Uh, oftentimes they, they try to do the, uh, the rock concerts and the contemporary music, and that doesn't get them anywhere. They try to do the, uh, uh, the yoga ministries, and they try to do the uh, fitness ministries and all of those things. And, and because those are not Christ-centered, they fail as well. And ultimately we see churches end up failing. Uh, we also see Christians... Uh, that are falling by the wayside, that are fainting. Uh, we see Christians that have been uh, devoted to God for long periods of time in their life, uh, that have served God, uh, that have spent much time maybe in the ministry in a very important position, that have more or less given up on God. 
Um, and I believe the reason for this is that these churches and these Christians are lacking victory in their lives. Uh, you see, a Christian cannot live without victory in his or her life on a regular basis. We being sin-stricken creatures are unable to make it day after day after day without the Lord's help and without gaining victory over certain things in our life. So I want us to focus on this, on three key points uh, that are dealing with surrender and victory in the life of the believer. And I want to start with this one. Look at verse number 7. It says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. You know, I, I know a lot of discouraged Christians... I know a lot of Christians that oftentimes will uh, they'll get caught up in listening to what the devil has to whisper in their ear, what the devil has to tell them, uh, to bring them down, to get them out of the ministry. Uh, we have to, first off, recognize that we are free from sin. We're free from, we have been set free. We live a life of liberty as believers. And although there's many times, and let me tell you, I, I am no pastor. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'll just rip my heart right open and let you tell you, I, as of right now, have never had any desire to pastor. Um, I am right where the Lord wants me to be and where I want to be right now. But even in my, what I consider, lowly position, uh, the devil, he still gets after me. You know, it, it doesn't, you don't have to be uh, the pastor, you don't have to be the deacon. Uh, just any, any layman in the church, the devil gets after us. He tries to discourage us. He tries to uh, bring us down. And here's, here's a side note, and this doesn't have anything to do with the message. Uh, knowing this, knowing the battle that Satan brings towards me, uh, we ought to always pray for our pastor. You know, what a, what a battle we are in. A, a real, I mean, a real spiritual battle. How many people do you know, Christian people, that went to church whose families fell apart. Almost all of us do. Or marriages that fell apart, or kids that fell out, or pastors that just ran off. We ought to pray for our pastor. But to avoid this discouragement, we have to recognize that we're free from sin. First off, we're, we're free from the power of sin. Now, I don't know about y'all, uh, but I was saved when I was 13 years old. Uh, I was not a drug addict. I was not a drunk. Um, I, I was not a gambler. I, will, I did not have some great, uh, impressive testimony of how God uh, just pulled me out of the wickedness of certain sin. Uh, even as a 13-year-old boy, God did save me by His grace out of the same hell that all the others would have gone to. Uh, but let me say this. We are free from that power of sin over our lives. To be free means that we've been broken from that bondage. Sin is, is binding to the unbeliever, to the, to the person that is lost. They are bound by that sin. They, they cannot gain any freedom. They do not have liberty. They have not been set free. They don't have that opportunity to get away from any kind of sin. They're, they're bound to it. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Aren't you thankful that you're not under the law? I say firsthand, uh, if I was under the law, I'd be in hell right now, and so would you. Uh, I'm thankful that we're under grace. I'm thankful that we're uh, free from sin uh, and that we're free from the power of sin. Uh, but let me also say I'm thankful that we're free from the plan of sin. Uh, you know, I thought oftentimes of my little boy Levi and my little girl Adelaide uh, laying there in their crib at night and how I've stood over them and how I've prayed for them and how I've thought about all the wonderful things that I want to see happen in their life. 
uh, how I want to see them grow up and, and first and foremost come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But also I want to see them grow up and, and serve God and do things with their life. I want to see them become good people. But you know, even more so than me, God looks down on those little babies and he sees his desire for them and his will and his purpose for their life. But so does Satan. You know, Satan looks at them too. And even though we've been saved, Satan still looks at us. I know you may say, I, I get it, I know, we, we know, move on. S- Satan still has a sin plan for your life. You know, the life that we have lived, God, ha- uh, God has, has saved us from, but Satan knows the specific things in which we are vulnerable to. He knows what baits to throw out in front of us. He knows what is most likely to get us. And he still has that plan for our lives. You know, I, when I was saved when I was 13 years old, I was in a church that was uh, actually larger than Wall Ridge, uh, but spiritually was much smaller than Wall Ridge. Um, the, the church that I grew up in, it was a church of kind-hearted people that believed in a good salvation doctrine, and that was about all they preached. Uh, they didn't believe in much more of, of godly living, and if they did, it was never preached to me. Um, I don't believe they were against it. I just don't believe they really knew much of it. Um, and so I, I didn't grow up in the kind of church that really taught me uh, discipleship of, of living a daily life for God. And so as I got older, uh, I just figured, well, saved at 13, I'm good to go. Just marry a Christian girl, and that's all I have to do. And as I got older and a little bit older, Satan, of course, began to tempt me as a young man. And it was very soon that I found myself 18 years old, out of the house, uh, in college, and I began to get caught up in the things of the world. Well, why? Because Satan had a sin plan for my life. And the very short period of time that I spent in this world, and I'm sure some of y'all spent much longer time than I did, the very short period of time that I spent in this world to see what the devil had to offer, it brought me nothing but pain and misery and heartache. And that's the same plan that he wants to continue in our lives. That's the same thing that's going on in the lives of so many Christians today. Of many so many people discouraged, so many people hurt, so many people that have just gotten out of God's house because they've just given up on God. What they've really done is they've given up on letting God work in their life and let Jesus Christ work through them. You see, to have victory in our life, we have to be fully surrendered over to Jesus Christ to work and live through our lives. Yeah, the natural thought says, victory, fight for it. If I want to win a battle, then I need to fight this battle. If I need to win the war, I need to fight the war. I need to do what I can do. But the Bible tells us that it's not what we can, but it's what Christ can do. Because in our own ability, it's never enough ability. We find that we fall on our face, uh, that we're never able to do what we ought to do, and that we continually fail over and over. So we know that we're free from sin's power in our life. It has no power over us. And we're free from sin's plan as believers. Although Satan has a plan, we are free from it if we live through Christ. But also, we're free from sin's penalty. And I just like to say amen to that. I'm thankful that the day that I draw my last breath and my heart takes its last beat, that my eyes will open up in heaven with the Lord. Now, those of us that are saved, we know how wonderful that'll be. I think about all of the lost, so many more that are walking the streets tonight, that are sitting in their living rooms tonight, that are out tonight, both young and old, 
that are lost without Jesus Christ. And they're going to go to a real hell when they die if they don't get right. We ought to praise God. We've been free from that. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from this. We, we, don't have any, we don't have any worry. If all I have to worry about is the things going on in this life, then praise God for it. I know that the Lord will come back hopefully soon, and I won't have to think anything else of it again. I've been set free from it. So to, to surrender to victory, to let Christ take victory in our life, we have to first recognize that we are free from sin. Secondly, look at verse number 6. The Bible says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The second thing is we have to routinely crucify the flesh. All of us have uh, fleshly desires and wants. Yours tonight might have been to sit uh, in the chair at the house instead of coming to church. It looks like it was for a lot of people. Uh, you know, we have things that we want to do, desires that we have, uh, things that, that we want in our life for us that God may not specifically have for us in our life. And the Bible tells us that the old man is crucified. The old man, the one that used to go out and drink, he's crucified. The one that used to go out and do drugs and use bad language and watch things that he shouldn't, he's crucified. The, the, the old man that used to be involved in the kind of things and the kind of things she was involved in has been crucified. But it's not a once and for all, it's an everyday thing. You see, I, as a younger Christian, uh, thought that as long as I was going to church on Sunday morning, that that was the ticket. That meant that I was doing good and that I would have a good Christian life. And I quickly found out that if I took the tiniest step towards the Lord, that Satan stepped right in there and he was willing to make his move as well. You see, I had to be willing every single morning when I wake up to crucify the flesh. The first thing you ought to do, if you don't get anything else from all of this tonight, get this. The first thing you ought to do when you get out of the bed every morning is pray and ask the Lord to help you overcome your flesh. Nail that flesh to the cross and crucify it. Get it out of the way. You see, our flesh is so powerful and it has what it wants to do and it is always against what God wants for our lives. So, knowing that we have to crucify the flesh, let's look at a handful of things regarding crucifixion. First of all, look at verse number 12. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. The act of crucifixion had a restraining power to it. When Christ was crucified on the cross, he was nailed to the cross. When others were crucified to the cross, oftentimes they were tied to the cross. Sometimes the cross was set upright. Sometimes the cross was set upside down. Sometimes it was set catty-cornered. It was set different ways during all of the, the uh, Roman times uh, of history of crucifixion. But you know how it was always set? With a person on it. They were restrained and they were not coming off of there. Our flesh... It must be crucified and restrained. It must be held back. The things that, listen, I have things uh, that, that oftentimes I want to do on certain nights of the week. Wednesday nights sometimes. Tuesday nights sometimes. Sometimes on Saturday night, uh, me and Levi stay up so late. I'm worn out Sunday morning and all I want to do is sleep in bed. But if I don't get up and if I don't restrain the wants of my own flesh and actually make those attempts to step forward and to serve God, then I can't see God glorify my life. 
I can't see God bless my life. I can't see, uh, I can't see uh, God do the wonderful things in my life that he wants to because if I'm serving the flesh, I'm not serving God. So we see crucifixion, it has its restraining power. But I'll say secondly, crucifixion, it was public. You know, the more that we live for Christ, if we do it the right way, the more other people notice it. That's the real deal, Christianity. Listen, there's plenty of people that come through Wall Ridge doors, that come through uh, other churches' doors. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Buddhist. It doesn't matter. There's plenty of people that go to churches, that go through a religious tradition that them or their family may have had, uh, but that is that is uh, that won't cut it for them. You see, the, the religious tradition... Uh, it's something that they oftentimes, they just do it, and they, if they're asked, they say, uh, well, yes, yeah, sure, I, I attend this church, or I go to that church, and, uh, but I'm not really involved in it, or I haven't been in quite a few weeks. If we really start living for Jesus Christ, now listen, if we live a life that is directed towards victory, then it will be something that other people will start to notice. If we start to live in a way where we are crucifying our own flesh, then people start to notice things become slightly different in our life. And you may say, well, but I don't act ungodly anyway. But do you act godly, specifically, publicly? You know, there's a lot of people that go to work and, and they work with other people that use bad language or tell dirty jokes. And they, they may not laugh at them and they may not say anything. But when you start saying, I don't want to hear that trash, you tell that to somebody else. Or when they, uh, and I have to do this. Somebody says, hey, have you seen this? And they stick their phone out. The first thing I say is, what's on that phone? I want to know what's on it before you show it to me. People, they step back and they look at you for a second, but they, it clicks and they realize all of a sudden, he's not kidding around. He's serious. If we're going to live a life where God is actually working in our life, and we're seeing things happen. Living a victorious life, it's going to be noticed publicly. Things are going to be different. Notice also the pain of crucifixion. Imagine Christ, the nails going through the hands, the nails going through the feet, the pain of crucifixion of when they would, uh, they would beat and they would stab. Uh, and that they would do all kinds of terrible things. If, if you've never studied uh, what went on during crucifixion, do it. Some of the things are so gruesome, I don't even feel comfortable to mention them from a pulpit. Uh, it, was a, it was a wicked, wicked thing, a painful thing. And when we crucify our flesh, it's a painful thing. Buddy, it kicks back, it doesn't like it, and it lets you know so that it doesn't like it either. You know, I've only been in ministry officially two years. I've been, uh, the Lord called me to preach in January of 2012, I guess two and a half going on three years now. Uh, before that, I was active in my church, but it wasn't until January of 2012 that I finally prayed to the Lord and I told the Lord, God, I know that you've wanted me to publicly say you've been dealing with me about preaching. I'll do it. I may be the worst one in the world, but I'll do it. If that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I submitted myself to the Lord. My flesh did not like that. It still doesn't like that. When Sometimes when I get up to lead singing, my flesh doesn't like that. 
Sometimes when I get up to come to church in the morning, my flesh doesn't like that. Or when I come on Wednesday night or Tuesday night. Hey, listen, Tuesday night when I go to a door, boy, my flesh doesn't like that. It gets nervous. Hands start sweating. You think, what's that person on the other side of the door going to say or do or pull on me? Uh, you, you, your flesh doesn't like it. It gets nervous. It's a painful thing to crucify the flesh. It's a painful thing. It doesn't like what, what we want to do to live for the Lord. But you see, it's necessary for us to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. Now, I'm talking about the scriptural, Bible, Christianity, Bible-living kind of life. You know, there's a lot of people out there. They call themselves Christians. Rachel and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, people on TV all the time, you know, they're Christians. I, I don't know why. For some reason, all celebrities die and go to heaven. Um, but, you know, everybody calls themselves Christians. Um, and many people, even in churches, and I'll even go as far to say even in our kind of church, an independent church, calls themselves Christians, but yet they don't live by this. Don't really live by this. They may say they believe it, but we live in a biblically ignorant society within our church. Now, not necessarily Walridge, but within God's church, so many people that I believe really are born-again Christians don't read their Bible. They don't know what the Bible says. And the fact of the matter is, if we're going to get out and we're going to do anything for God and we're going to see souls saved, then it's not going to be comfortable and it's not going to feel good. And if we're going to step up and do this, then we've got to acknowledge that. Listen, we can sit in the pews all we want to, and I can do the same the rest of the church services. But if I, if I am not willing to step completely out of my comfort zone and do stuff that I'm not comfortable with doing, then I'll never see God do great things in my life. I'll, I'll never see, uh, uh, see souls saved if I uh, always step back and let somebody else step up to do it. It's a painful, it is a painful thing to crucify our flesh. But I'll say fourth, crucifixion's ultimate purpose is death. Look at verse number 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Destroyed. Praise the Lord, I don't have to live with this body for eternity. This body uh, has uh, hurt itself, has brought sin into itself, and, and uh, brought destruction to itself. And y'all are probably thinking, uh, Carrie, you're 28 years old. You don't even know what it is for your body to hurt. Uh, no, no, you're right, and I agree with you. But we're on the same level. This body that we have is a sinful body. And when whether you ever did anything to it, you still live in it right now, and you still struggle at the very least with temptation and sin. And praise the Lord that eventually, one day, this fleshly body will be ultimately crucified, and it will be dead, and it will be gone, and we'll be given a new body to live eternally with the Lord. So we have to routinely crucify the flesh. And lastly... Look at verse number 22. The Bible says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. If we get real serious with God, He gets real serious with us. What's the Bible say? Draw nigh unto God, He'll draw nigh unto you. If we start taking steps towards God, he starts taking steps towards us. That, if I could get those teenagers to understand that, uh, I, would feel, uh, I would feel great about the entire ministry. That, that young or old, 
if we make that attempt, so does God. You don't have to feel like, uh, well, sometimes I struggle with Bible passages or Bible memorization or sometimes I don't pray like I ought to. Listen, if you make a real effort to seek God, you'll find Him. He'll make Himself more present to you and more real in your life and you'll see Him work. And with that, we'll see rewards of righteousness. We'll see the things that God wants to give us. Uh, you know, I believe that we have a God that answers prayer. Uh, I believe that because he answers my prayer. Um, he answers my big prayers, and he answers my little prayers. Um, he, he is involved in my life in every detail that I let him in, and if I let him, it's every detail. Um, and I praise the Lord for that, that we have that kind of God. Uh, you know, these these church people and these church members uh, that are discouraged right now and that struggle and that don't know what direction to go in and they feel put out and they feel let down and they don't know what else to do have lost sight of what God can and will actually do in their lives. You know, our young people upstairs, <clears throat> God has his plan for their life. And God's willing to work in their life as much as they're willing to let him work in their life. But it's ultimately their decision. And just like the young people, it's ultimately our decision as adults. It doesn't matter if the majority of our life is passed or not. If we're still willing to let God do things in our life, then he'll still continue to bless us and to do things in our life. And one of those things is he'll bring us joy, a life of joy. You know, the best decision that I ever, ever, ever made was to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Ever made. I've made some pretty good decisions, and Lord knows I have made terrible decisions, but the best one I ever made was to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, I told the Lord I don't know where it would take me, uh, but I would go. I don't know uh, what it would do to me, but I would be willing. Um, that I, I don't know what his plan is for me, but that's what I want. And if I'm willing to actually seek that out and live for it, to... to Remind myself and not get discouraged that I'm free from sin and crucify my flesh and live for God. I can have this life of joy. And you can too. Uh, we can wake up every single morning knowing, you know what? I don't have anything that I have to worry about. I'm saved. If something were to happen to me this very, mo- this very moment, everything's okay. If something, if something was to happen to me later on, it, everything is okay because I've been saved. Whether we're sick, if we're born again, we're still okay. Whether whether uh, whether we've got financial troubles, if we're born again, we're still okay. Uh, it's a life of joy. You know, this this world, it, it really, the devil, he does a good job of painting up a joyous life. Uh, and uh, many of us have fallen uh, to that in our lives, and we have given in to that and believed it. Uh, and it is my greatest fear for both my own children and our young people um, to believe that this life that the devil paints is fun um, and is joyous, um, to actually take over their life and to destroy it, because it's a real thing that could really happen to them. Uh, but if they if they actually give in uh, to what the Lord wants to do to in their life and surrender to Him, um, then they can have a wonderful, joyous life. Uh, look, it, it also says, become servants to God. Um, if you live for God the way that you ought to, you have a servant's attitude. Now, I know that that really gets some people... Uh, wound up, probably not our Wednesday night crowd, uh, but every born-again believer is called to serve God in some capacity. You know, it's not a matter of, well, that's left up to the pastor or the preacher, uh, or that's left up to the missionary. No, that's left up to the believer. 
Uh, if you've been saved, then it is your obligation to serve Jesus Christ in some capacity. Now, it may be uh, to vacuum the floors, uh, and that will glorify God. Uh, it may be to be the one that leads a, a certain ministry, and that will glorify God. But it has to be in some way. Uh, you may say, well, I, I have never served, and I get embarrassed. Um, well, I get embarrassed too <laughs> all the time. Uh, but I serve anyway. Um, because it's a wonderful thing to do, and, and I enjoy doing it. Um, I like seeing God work in my life, and I like seeing the results of God uh, uh, manifesting the service that I give to Him. Um, nobody can tell me uh, that it's too much work when you see teenagers saved right before your eyes. That, there's never too much work um, when it comes to seeing teenagers saved. It's never too much work when you uh, get to come back after church camp and uh, see all the young people stand up there and, and give their testimonies and girls cry and talk about how God changed their lives and, and uh, some of the men talk. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And so oftentimes, such a small number of people such a small percentage of church people actually serve. If you're not doing that, start doing it. In some way, reach out and do something. And if you say, I don't know what to do, then ask somebody because there's always something you can do. There's always some way that you can serve and see God work in your life. And lastly, look at this. It says, uh, it says uh, become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. Now, the fruit on the holiness, that's talking about sanctification. In the life of the believer, when somebody is saved, they may not immediately uh, be the cookie-cutter Christian that we expect. Uh, believe it or not, I've seen lots of uh, young people saved, and it took years before they started to make some changes in their life. Uh, I was saved at 13, and it was years before I started to get some things out of my life that I never should have had in there to begin with. Um, but... As we serve God and as we live for God, we be, we begin to live a sanctified life. And God begins to deal with us about things. And oftentimes that scares people away. And they think, well, God, that this is not a sin. Why this? But God's got his purpose in it. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of things that I uh, enjoy doing that aren't wrong. But if God demands them for me to take it away, then I ought to take it away. So oftentimes people say, I don't want to give up L little stuff. I don't want to give up my radio. What's the radio? I mean, if it's if it's worldly music, then just give it up. Well, I don't want to give up my t certain TV programs. Would you Would you watch it? You know, with Pastor Toby there. I mean, would you watch it with the? Should we shoot it up on the big screen? I mean, these are. This may sound silly, but this is reality of church people's lives. These are really things going on in the lives of church people, and they they feel discouraged. They don't know what to do. But it's because they're not allowing God to, to work sanctification through their life. But it says a uh, fruit unto holiness that's being sanctified in the end, everlasting life. Um, the last of these rewards of righteousness, I would say, is fellowship with Jesus Christ eternally, not beginning at the point of death, but beginning at the point of salvation. At 13 years old, I, I didn't understand it all. I don't understand it all now, but I understand that he saved me. And understand that something changed at that moment. And at that very moment, even though I was awfully slow about it, God was still there hand in hand with me, still protecting me, still helping me, and still teaching me in time. Uh, the believer, we ought, we ought to be so thankful that God is willing to, to give us anything and everything within his will 
that we can ask for. He wants to provide for us. Uh, you all have probably heard of an old preacher named John R. Rice. Uh, years and years ago, he used to say, I can just imagine getting to heaven and seeing just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of gifts and asking God, what are these? And God's saying, well, those are all the blessings I wanted to give you, but you never asked for them. You see, we live a life of real fellowship with God, with Jesus Christ, every single day. I think I think that we're all to blame sometimes, including myself, to let these uh, to go to church so often that sometimes we forget to strive, we forget to really make the effort, we forget to we forget to remember on a daily basis what it's all about, and that's about seeing uh, that's about seeing the lost people come to know Jesus Christ, uh, and that's about being able to grow individually as a Christian ourselves. So uh, I hope that this has has helped you tonight. At least I hope there's been a thing or two you've been able to take from it. Uh, just remember, it, the more that we're willing to give up to surrender our own lives to God, whatever it may be, the more more that the Lord is willing to work in our life. If we have difficulties and struggles in our lives, maybe something we're struggling, gaining victory over, keep giving stuff up. God will help us get the victory.